The Oil Can is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. With GameTime, you can buy your tickets with just two taps, which makes getting to the arena a much, much easier process than finding somebody to wrangle your toddler for three hours. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. edition of the Athletics Oilers All 2010s team. Uh, hi there, it's Alan Mitchell along with Jonathan Willis. John, how are you today? Doing well, Al. Uh, you've got a you got a busy week ahead, hey? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's crazy for me. And old people, you know, I got to wait for the bus, you know, uh, <laughs> and then I got to transfer to another bus. And uh, it's uh, I'm hoping to get some grocery shopping in while I'm doing all of this. But uh, how about you? How's your week shaping up? Uh, not uh, not too too bad. Just uh, you know, hammering out stuff. I I, I don't get bu- too crazy busy till next month, so should be all right. Uh, so this Oilers All Twenty Tens team. I will tell you when I looked at it, and I know you've written, and we're going to talk about your your article. But when we're when I looked at it initially, I said, you know, I don't see any sort of uh, difficulty in placing this, and then. Uh, I started to think, and probably too much, but I started to think about some of the defensemen. So let's start here. Let's start with your first uh, team, and then when you give me your first team, I'll, I'll maybe tell you my thoughts on it as we go along. Sure. So let's start with like a really controversial selection. I think Connor McDavid is your first team center. Okay. You sound a little skeptical, Al. Does does that seem okay? I mean, listen, well, he did win the Hart Trophy, so that, you know, know, so, okay, we'll give him that. (laughs) I I actually had a lot of trouble writing uh, McDavid's entry because I thought, um, what, what, what do I say about him? He, you know, like, he's, he's, he's superlative, but he's so consistently superlative that you just, you don't even know what to say. Um, so he, he was a lock for me. And I, and I think right with him, we can say Leon Dreisaitl as a, as a first team winger. Uh, those two are, are, to me, head and shoulders above everybody else. The, the thing about McDavid is, and, and I think Leon a little bit too, is we're, we're, trying to find new words to describe them and they're they're just either at the beginning of their their you know the, their peak years or in McDavid's case maybe not even there yet I mean we're, we're gonna have to recreate or, or create some new words about them because the I, I look at it John the 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 pace that this line is on and including Jack Zach Cassian uh, it's like Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Wayne Cashman in seventy seventy one, which at that time, when it was a higher scoring era, it was a shocking uh, result because they were just so far ahead of everybody else. the The thing about these two guys is that that even as much as they're doing now, it may not represent peak value of their career. There may be more. Yeah, we're getting. Cl- I think we're getting close with Drysidle, just just because he's a year older and. 
you you wonder about that with McDavid. I like I think in the off season I projected 130 points for McDavid, and it looks right now like he's going to surpass that number. And and when I did it, I I, I looked at history and, and uh, the typical career arc for these guys, and I'm going, you know what? That's actually a fairly conservative estimate. So, I mean, where he tops out at, who knows? And and Drysaddle, I mean, he just he just keeps finding ways to shock us, right? Like, he he was supposed to be the 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 number two center in a in a great one two punch. It turns out he's Yari Curry instead. It's uh, it's incredible. It really is, and his comparables, you know, visually. Uh, I started out with like Peter Mahovlich, and now I'm at Frank Mahovlich. And if he gets any better, it's going to be Jean Beliveau. So uh, he, the 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 thing about Leon Dreisaitl is that that there's there's almost you know, and I hate to say this because he's not there yet, but because of his size and because of his intelligence and his passing ability and skill with the the big body and those hands, there are there are potentially very few limits on him. He could be a, a brilliant two-way center, maybe not delivering the kind of offense he is now at 30, uh, and, and still really carry the mail. I, I think he may be a better uh, two-way center five years from now than he is now. The offense unlikely to continue at this rate when he's like 28, 29, but a lot of the the skills that he has translate very well to a mature player. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy because he can do so many different things for you, and he, the 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 arc of his career is just going to be fascinating to watch. Like we're talking about a guy who's a, a Maurice Richard candidate right now, and could end up being a you know a Selkie winning center. So I, I I'm getting way ahead of myself, but but a really really interesting player. John, now that you, we, we've got the, the first-line center and the first-line winger, we know it's going to be a huge drop to the other winger on your first uh, first team. Yeah. So who's the other winger? It's got to be a huge drop there. Yeah, it's a it's a big drop-off to uh, Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall. I, oh, I, right. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't, I don't know how much we count that because it didn't happen in Edmonton, right? So we'll have to go with uh, a third, third all-star at left wing because Alex Ovechkin plays both right wing and left wing Taylor Hall. <laughs> he was he was a great player. I think he he um he, and McDavid kind of warped the curve. But you look at Taylor Hall, like this is a guy who was an MVP after being traded. This was a guy who was legitimately an elite 5 on 5 player with Edmonton and you know there's there's so much that we've we've talked about that trade over the years, but the thing that really stands out to me is it's it's such a shame we never got to see him play for any length of time with Connor McDavid. Like basically an hour, it, it you'd you'd have liked to just see. And I'm not even saying it would have worked. It just it would have been fun to see. Well, I remember when he came up in. Uh, I, I'm going to say it was around Halloween night of '85. Um, yeah, I think it was '85. I'm sorry, 2015, and I know there's a slight gap I, I there. Made a mistake. <laughs> well, I I mentioned Frank Mahovlich, and now my mind is gone. But it was 2015. <laughs> he came up in in around Halloween night, and they put him uh, with I, I believe it was Hall and Nuge for a game. And I remember Nuge passing the puck out to Leon, scoring the winning goal. He he lit it up that night. And I thought that line. I thought, man, just keep those guys together. Uh, and it never happened. They they you, you know uh, coaches being coaches, they wanted to. And I understand you want two scoring lines. And and Hall was absolutely a driver at that time. But would have been nice to see uh, Hall and McDavid, even you know, even like on a four-on-four regularly. Now that they, Leon's there, he's established. But would have been nice to see that 
uh, combination for sure. And and I still think I will put it in here, uh, John. I know that we're we're way ahead of ourselves here on a few things, but I think there's a possibility that we see Tanner Hall back in Edmonton sooner than later. Which would be a, a fascinating development. Uh, I, I, I just keep saying fascinating. I got to find a new word. Uh, <laughs> but well, for, I'm in 1985, so don't worry about it. So, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is this is quality podcast content for our listeners. Uh, John just repeats the same three words over and over again, and Al's 30 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> but, but so you know, we we could I. It will be interesting to see what transpires in the future with Hall, and if if there's a second chapter. You know, I I can't wait to see it just as somebody who enjoys watching the game. But even without it, I think there's no question over the last decade, he's one of the, the three most impactful forwards that the Oilers have had. All right, your, your defenseman on your first team? Yeah, so defense is where it gets really interesting on this team because the forwards, I think, sort themselves logically into tiers. But when I was putting the list together, right, I kind of came up with six, seven defensemen that I could intersperse wherever I wanted. The two, I think, were the best fit for the top uh, unit team were uh, Clefbaum and Petrie. Uh, Clefbaum drafted, of course, in 2011. Petrie, uh, a throwback to the previous rebuild, but um, they're just Clefbaum to me is is the best of the new wave, and and Petrie's the best of the last wave. And both of them had had long and and really excellent careers with the Oilers. I think people appreciate what Clefbaum is now, even though he's maybe not appreciated outside of Edmonton as much. And I think Petrie was a guy who was underrated just because the team was so bad. But now that he's gone and he's doing what he's doing in Montreal, there there is a better understanding within the market of exactly how much he brought to that team. I agree with both of your choices here. Uh, I'll tell you, in Clefbaum's case, uh, I think he has been for some time Edmonton's best defenseman. And and now that he's kind of in a mentor role here uh, early in the 2019-20 season, uh, I threw that in so that people would know I know what year it is. Uh, th- this this player is, is really adaptable. He's able to do more than one thing. And, and on the Oilers, they have, God love them, they've had some one-dimensional guys. Uh, Justin Schultz could move the, you know, he could play offensively, but was a little bit uh, um, challenged defensively. We're going to talk about some of the current players in a minute uh, who maybe don't have that offensive gear. But I think Oscar Kleffbaum combines it all. And he was a defensive uh, uh, liability early in his career. I think he's he's uh, improved that. Plus, he he's got great patience. He's got calm feet, uh, and he can pass it or or uh, carry it out. I'm a big Clefbaum fan. I think he's the best defenseman the Oilers have had this decade. As far as Petrie is concerned, he would be my challenger if they hadn't traded him away. Such a poor decision uh, by Craig McTavish. We're going to talk about I think two of his poor decisions uh, here in our uh, decade countdown of the the best Oilers uh, players. Uh, so I, I think Petrie's career, the heart of his career, didn't have to play out in Montreal. I think he would have been very effective here and maybe even making the haul for Larson trade unnecessary. So uh, I agree with both. I think they're brilliant players. And for an organization that often gets uh, beaten up for not being able to draft well, they do pretty well on the defensive side. And these are two great examples. And maybe maybe there's a lesson there going forward because they have a lot of defensemen coming on the way and they're going to have to make decisions on some of them. So if if you look at Jeff Petrie and some of the, particularly Jeff Petrie, maybe it's a, uh, a warning to make sure you understand what you have before you make a trade. Uh, just one, one last thing on Clefbaum. 
it doesn't get noticed a lot and if it does get noticed it, it it's sort of in a negative way as a rule you know he's he's our soft player quote unquote uh Clefbaum doesn't take penalties and i i can't it's one of those things that I, I I feel is really underrated about the defense position because if you're a defenseman, you're going to take penalties. You're going to get caught out of position. You're not going to have a choice. And to me, it's one of those little metrics that tells you when a guy is always in the right spot. And Clefbaum, because he's huge and he can skate, he's he not only is he very, very rarely out of position, but he's rarely out-muscled in such a way that he has to go back to leaning on his stick right away. So people look at the low penalty minutes and sometimes knock him as a soft guy to me it's it's a marvelous indication of just how good he is defensively that he doesn't have to take the kind of infractions that lesser players do all right your first team goaltender I don't think there's any choice here it's got to be Cam Talbot he uh he wasn't consistent consistent uh he had ups and downs as an oiler but his ups were just crazy high and if he'd been handled a little bit differently when he was at those heights maybe the downs wouldn't have been so low yeah I I I think the two goalies that you're going to talk about today are are very close. What makes a difference for me is that Talbot uh, was was so valuable to them in the 2016-17 season, and uh, we should be talking about more than one playoff year for Connor McDavid's era uh, as an Oiler, but we're not. But not for yet. me, Talbot was. Yeah, Talbot was a brilliant goaltender for them. They simply should have had a better backup so they could have rested him more. This is both goaltenders are are sort of self-inflicted errors by the organization. It's not on the goaltenders. So, I'll take the peak value of Talbot over uh what I think would have been the career value of your your second choice. I like Talbot a lot. I hope he does recover. I feel like the the they got him at a time where where if they had handled him correctly, we'd be talking about two or three playoff um, seasons here during the Talbot slash McDavid era. Badly handled, and and I, I think the lesson learned here, uh, and and the approach the Oilers are currently taking, is sort of because they put Cam Talbot through the, the meat grinder, and it's too bad. I, I agree with that, and I think that's one of those. A lot of the, not that we want to get into all the Oilers' mistakes and litigating the past decade, but a lot of the issues that you find are, are management-driven issues. Talbot, to me, is one of those cases where you look at the coach and you go, what were you doing? Because even though he wasn't confident in his backups, we look at who he had. I mean, Miko Koskinen is a really legitimate NHL backup. Uh, Laurent Brassois, who had who was a prospect, he was developing, they didn't know what they had in him. He's emerged as a really uh, excellent NHL backup in Winnipeg. So it, it wasn't, I mean, you know, if, if you play Cam Talbot over Jonas Gustafsson, hey, I, who am I to argue with you? But they did have talent in the backup position at points, and to me that falls on the head coach. Yeah, I agree. And the, the July 1 signing of Gustafsson is one of the real curios uh, that overlooked because there's so many other things that they did wrong. But that was a strange <laughs> one. Uh, we are counting down the Oilers all 2010s team. We've done the first uh, uh, first team, which is Connor McDavid at center with Leon Dreisaitl, Taylor Hall, uh, Jeff Petrie and Oscar Kleppbaum at defense, and Cam Talbot as the goalie. And you'd think we'd run out of uh, really great players, but your second team is uh, shining like a diamond as well. Who's your Who's your second team centerman? 
John. Well, again, no choice here. It's it's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I think in a lot of other decades, Nugent Hopkins would have been a first-team guy. He just happened to get pushed out by by McDavid. And and the other thing with him is he's been an Oiler this entire time, right? He was a, a 2011 first-rounder, or first overall. He made the team right away. He's been, he he has suffered. <laughs> you know, you, you feel bad for the Oilers fan base that have had to watch all this stuff. Nugent Hopkins, through no fault of his own, has had to live it. And uh, boy, he's he's uh, he's an enduring player. And, and he's the kind of guy you look at his career arc, you, you hope for his sake that he gets to have a little success in, in the, uh, over the remainder of his career. I saw an interview with him recently, and I don't recall where it was. I think it might have been NHL.com, but they, they said, if you hadn't been a you know a hockey player, what would you be? And I, I flashed instantly back to Spinal Tap, where uh, the, the bass player says, well, maybe I could have worked in a haberdashery. Uh, because with, with Nuge, I'm sure he's thought about what he would have done many times, aside from hockey, maybe racing horses or whatever. He has been a brilliant player, in my opinion, uh, almost since he got here. Uh, he took on a huge load in terms of the offensive, uh, the the checking matchups that he would take because he was more capable than Sam Gagne out of the box and that Horkoff had, uh, you know, aged a little and, and foot speed wasn't necessarily what he was uh, good at. So Nuge ascended quickly. The other side of it is the thing that he does most well is also what Dreisaitl and McDavid do brilliantly, which is the power play. If he were on a team with a, uh, you know, needed a power play centerman who could dish the puck and make all kinds of brilliant plays, he'd be the guy. So I think Nuge's uh, uh, gift is that he is uh, not an uh, egomaniac and he can stifle all that and play a brilliant uh, uh, complementary role. Uh, The frustration, I'm sure, is that even though he's done that and he's done everything for team, the team has not been able to get him into the second season very often. I, uh, if they if they win the Stanley Cup, I hope Nuge is the second guy to get the the to be able to raise it over his head. He's earned it. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument from me on that, and that's a, it's a good description of his skill set. I, I think you know the the other there's sort of five great forwards for the Oilers in the past decade and and there's a big drop up after that but the the number 5 one is is the winger on this second team and a lot of what went for Nugent Hopkins goes for him in terms of just sort of career arc and being unfairly blamed for things and that's Jordan Eberle of course he uh you know that he had that second brilliant season where everybody sort of assumed he was something he wasn't in hindsight the Oilers you know, probably should have sold high at that point. But after that, after we discovered what he was, what he was was pretty good. And, uh, you know, he kind of had one bad playoffs and, and Peter Shirelli ran into cap, cap trouble and the Oilers ended up dealing him for, for not not enough, really, with the result being that a, that a really good, solid Oiler who could have been a, a contributing player for a long time uh, is going to be doing that for the New York Islanders. I remember when they traded him. Uh, a lot of people said, "Well, you know, uh, you can, you know, we can find wingers anywhere." And and I think the years that have gone since then tell us that no, you can't. And that no, no, Ty Ratty's got it, Al. Ty Ratty's got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I, he had Cam with almost everybody on the ice, including uh, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and I and I think that that Nugent, uh, when Hall and and Eberle were dealt in in. Um, 
uh, one summer after another. I think at five on five, it's been a, a difficult road for Nugent Hopkins since, and and that alone, I think, makes the Eberly trade. He was the second player uh, sent away, a, a real crime, and he was a. Uh, I, th- I was always convinced he was the guy who was going to stay forever. Obviously not the case, but he's carved out a really nice career for himself uh, in New York, and and uh, regrettably they didn't get enough, and then even though they got a, a capable player, they traded him away for even less. So uh, the, the asset is gone, long gone, but Eberle as a productive player continues, and a reminder about when you trade young players uh, because they don't get the puck out against Anaheim in a single game, you deserve to be punished. <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, well, now, your 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 final winger on the second team is one of my all-time favorite Oilers. Yes, uh, my, mine as well. For if, if this were a 2000s list, he'd be on the top team. Alish Hemsky, just a, just a superb player. And one of the things I noticed about him, I, there's a Twitter conversation this summer. A lot of people were talking about Hemsky. I think it was because Stortini, uh, Zach Stortini was on a radio show and told a story about him that was, you know, reflected very favorably on him. Uh, he people were praising his grit and and I love to hear it because it was one of those things that I I always found frustrating watching it that he didn't get that appreciation and I mean he was a guy who his career was shortened because he made decisions that made him a better hockey player and he he went he went to tough areas he went to tough areas against anybody he got lit up a ton and uh played his way through it he he was um He's he's a little bit controversial to me here because he uh, his time in this decade was only a smaller overlap. But the Oilers don't really have a, a ton of quality wingers. There's other people you can make a case for once you get past the first five. But to me, Hamsky uh, was was the last guy for this list. Well, Dustin Penner was somebody that I that I uh, that you noted yeah. that I was thinking. You know, you know he had he was very good as an Oiler. Uh, but the thing about Hemsky was, and you're right, it's so impossible to, to not allow the the you know six season to to bleed into what we're talking about here. But I think most Oilers fans would would agree with your take uh, in that Hemsky is. Uh, for all the reasons we've talked about, and maybe they do bleed into the last decade, he is deservedly uh, on the second team. Uh, the one area where you and I are going to disagree on this uh, brilliant two lists of yours is on the defensive side. So who are your second def- uh, team defensemen? Ooh, I'm, I'm curious to know where you disagree now. So I've got Andre Sekera and Darnell Nurse. I love both players. Uh, Nurse, obviously, long time. Oiler uh, drafted in 2013, worked his way up, had some some uh, ups and downs, but really, really emerged as a quality top four defenseman the last couple of years. And then Sekiro, you know, he was tasked with filling that Jeff Petrie-shaped hole on the blue line and did a really, really good job once they got him over on the left side. And honestly, he did okay on the right side, but uh, especially playing with a rookie nurse at that point. But he just a just a really excellent player. So I, I, I'm really interested to know which of those two you bump. Well, I bumped Darnell Nurse, and the reason I did is because I think that Adam Larson uh, is a better player. Uh, Now, I like the shutdown defenseman more than most. Uh, I like Darnell Nurse a lot, and I think he may get there by the end of the decade. But for me, Adam Larson's uh, uh, first year here, and then his second year especially, when he played a lot with Nurse, uh, put him at at the front of the line. He had a poor year last year, and he's been hurt so far this year. Uh, but I, I feel like those two seasons that he played uh, brilliantly and really did uh, help the Oilers in a major way. For me, that's more 
then we've 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 seen Nurse brilliantly, but we've seen him inconsistent. So I would I would take Larson uh, as a veteran. And I know that he's a shutdown guy, and I know that, that a lot of people value that less because you don't have that other side of, of the puck-moving ability, and I, I'm guilty as charged on Adam Larson. But my appreciation of his defensive side and how well he uh, plays in the high-danger zones, that puts him ahead of Darnell Nurse for me. That's I, I was curious, because I'm thinking you know he could have one of two players ahead of ahead of whoever he's bumping out and it's either Larson or Ladislav Schmid and I should have just known better than to think it would be Schmid because <laughs> as everybody knows Al hates Schmid. <laughs> I don't hate I, I actually was delighted that you included him on your list because I I thought Schmid was here too early but he did develop into a, a much better player later on. Yeah, he he was a he was a quality player once he came around. Uh, just one thing on Nurse versus Larson, it's it's always in terms of peak value. I agree that Larson was higher, but it, it's one of those things where you value peak value and longevity, and it was close enough that I thought you know Nurse's longevity, and then the fact Larson tailed off the last year and a half, that yes, that uh, yep. that kind of confirmed it for me. Yeah, and you know what? I don't really argue with that. I think I I'm parsing. No, uh, it could here, go either I, way. Yeah, exactly. But I think that the, the general direction is headed in, in the nurse uh, camp, you know, based on, and I've, I've really been impressed with him and Ethan Bear. I don't know who's Zoom and who there, but I, 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 I think they make a really good combination, put it that way. And so the last player on this list is our other goalie, Devin Dubnik. Uh, we, we started off talking about Craig McTavish mistakes. I guess we closed the same way. He was, people forget that he was the starter in the uh, the Ralph Kruger lockout year and was a brilliant, brilliant starter that season. He didn't sell the new GM on him. The new GM had questions. He got off to a bad start the following year. And so now he, uh, you know, his his big his big second act and, and most of his career as a starter was spent with the Minnesota Wild. But, you know, while he was in Edmonton, he was a quality player for them. Yeah, and he was, uh, from what I have read, his time in Arizona was very important with Sean Burke to, to yeah. kind of straighten himself out. And, and the, the, the disappointment for me about Dubnik is it shows you how an organization has to be really careful about who you hire. Because uh, I remember when he was drafted, Kevin Lowe was hoping to draft, I can't remember the player in front, it might have been Drew Stafford in front of Dubnik. And there was a certain disappointment, which sounds ridiculous, but I, I don't think they wanted to take a goalie that high. They did, and they brought him along uber slowly, to borrow a word from your generation, John. And <laughs> they... They they did everything slow, but they finally got him to the NHL, and then he outplayed uh, Habi Bulin, uh, and then he won the job, and then they bring in a new coach and a, a rookie coach and a rookie GM, and they 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 destroyed him, and they got nothing really. Although I really like Matt Hendricks, they didn't get full value again for him, and then he goes on and he has played very well for several years now. He's established himself as a solid NHL goaltender. I would argue the third best goalie ever drafted by the Edmonton Oilers, uh, and the the frustration level for me on Dubnik is high because. I'll remember a Saturday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs where they were still doing the swarm where uh, everybody was in the corner trying to get the puck. The puck gets passed out to Joffrey Lupul. He's all alone. He goes shelf against Dubnik. And in between periods, the, the Hockey Night in Canada group, all they did was rip Dubnik. And I'm like, did you see the swarm? But that was the sort of <laughs> mindset around the Oilers at the time. Dubnik had already been identified by the general manager as somebody he didn't believe in. Uh, and And I guess it's fitting, John, 
that when we're looking back at the 2010s first and second team, we see two things. A lot of missed opportunities with young players and a lot of frustration over management decisions because that really is the theme of the entire decade, although I think we're, we're headed in a better direction. Yeah, absolutely. One one last little thing on Dubnik. I, I know you did a beautiful bow tie on the show there, but I, I, I have to throw off our cadence. Uh, he was <laughs> not supposed to be the best goalie coming out of his draft year. There was a, I cannot for the life of me remember the guy's name, I, Merrick Schwartz maybe. Anyway, he oh, th- right. there was a lot of criticism that the Oilers took Dubnik 14th overall. I think yes. Schwartz fell to like, might have been 19th. Anyway, a lot of criticism of them for making that choice. Turned out really well, but through, you know, things that were not at the scouting end it, it didn't end well and it's it's unfortunate but uh like you say you know they they seem to have a better grip on developing these guys and bringing them along now john well done on the list i have to say i, I enjoyed uh reading the article and uh i enjoyed talking about it as well uh hopefully uh you know next decade we'll have a chance to talk about the you know mcdavid in his second decade as being the first uh team center and you actually age backwards so that'll be 1975 right <laughs> I'm that button guy. What's Benjamin Button? Is that him? <laughs> Curtis McElhaney. Curtis McElhaney's the term when you age backwards. <laughs> uh, all right. This has been the Oil Can Podcast Special Edition, the uh, Oilers uh, All-2010s team. Uh, thanks for tuning in.